Hi, welcome to Research in Focus, a podcast exploring the work of Latrobe researchers. I'm Lauren Gorn. Journalism has undergone a major shift in the last couple of decades, with shrinking number of full-time journalists and a diversifying digital media landscape. Laurie Zion is a professor of journalism and director of the Transforming Human Societies Research Focus Area, whose research focuses on the changing role of journalists in Australia. Laurie, welcome to Research in Focus. Great to be here. Laurie, as well as being a professor at La Trobe, you have a rich and varied history of being a, a working journalist in in, the, in Australia, um, and you still actively engage with broadcast journalism. How has the role of journalists changed in the last 10 or 20 years? Um, well, the role of journalists in some ways is still pretty similar in that they're still here, first of all, to tell stories that someone doesn't want to tell. Right. And they're here to uh, not only... Uh, convey the facts of what's happening, but to provide sense and context. So in that respect, there's a lot of continuity in what, uh, in in industry terms, has been a very tumultuous period. Of course, there are less of them now, and the kind of um, platforms and publications that that I grew up with certainly are quite different now because uh, the newspapers are no longer operating on the scale that they once did. But uh, conversely, for someone like me who's a politics junkie, there are actually more channels and more, uh, more, more platforms, if you like, where news and information uh, around, around you know, a topic I'm particularly interested in is available. Um, but at the same time, I think if you live in uh, a regional part of Australia, uh, just like if you live in a regional part of the UK or the US, the likelihood is that you've got less media uh, that relates to your community now than you would have had 20 or 30 years ago. We've seen large numbers of, of redundancies and even just shrinking capacity within those traditional media platforms, yeah. but we're still seeing a really large number of people who are keen to study journalism, who come to university to study journalism. What's what's happening with those people in terms of um, possible career trajectories or the skills that they're learning? Yeah. Well, I've been in... La Trobe Uni for 12 years, and um, one of my former students won a Walkley recently. Oh, you must be so proud. <clears throat> Eric George from The Australian is part of a podcast team there, and he's won one before. And uh, it seems to me that there's a couple of sort of things going on at once, actually, with people who go and do journalism degrees and then hit the job market. Um, a lot of our students end up in, in the traditional media jobs that are available. And I'm thinking here of, uh, you know, a, a former student, Tom Cowie, who's a senior journal now at The Age. I mentioned Eric. Um, there's a student who was, uh, who, who was the best of her year 12 years ago, Lauren Hilbert, who's at 3AW, and she married another student, Matt Cram. So I'm not just going to prattle on about all these <laughs> alumni. But a lot of our sport journalism students too hit the ground running because there's a lot more media in these areas where you've got a sort of slight blurring of the line sometimes between journalism and media. And so, you know, these jobs now that Eastern Suburbs footy leagues have for a communications person who's also doing a bit of journalism for their online newsletters, these kind of jobs didn't necessarily exist before. Right. So there's some, uh, I suppose, extension of 
media jobs in certain kinds of areas, but there are far fewer jobs in in the you know in the so-called legacy media area. Though good students end up getting jobs in in those places too, it seems. But I think that the value of journalism degrees now and media degrees more generally is that that skill set has never been so useful. Um, I am constantly rung up by people who uh, you know who I went to uni with who are in slightly unrelated areas like advertising and they'll say, do you have any recent journalism graduates who are looking for work? And I'll say, well, why would you want one? And uh, this particular friend says, because they can write and that's what we need. And so the emphasis we put on writing and getting ideas to to work properly and also the critical thinking that goes behind that um, is tremendously important and a tremendously useful skill in building a career. And so I suppose the other part of that whole question of what happens to people who do these degrees, that we're starting to see a pattern, and I've seen it in my research as well, where people go into journalism or go into media in the sort of uh, decade following university, and then they might move into something else. But that grounding, which has, by the way, been a traditional career path for politicians, think Tony Abbott and Malcolm Turnbull, as just two examples, but that kind of career path uh, means now that you know, being a journalist isn't to the same extent as it once was necessarily a job for life. But it is a way to, I suppose, get uh, used to understanding how the world works and to be part of the, you know, the way that that's explained. And so um, I've got, you know, a friend in, in the States who teaches journalism there and he says it's it's the best applied BA you can do. So without trying to evangelise too much about the virtues of these sorts of degrees, I think that there's... I, I certainly would never say, and I, I do this sort of spiel in, um, you know, in O Week and at Open Days, that you're not going to waste your time if you do a media degree. Everything you learn there will be something that you can apply into the world of work. There's no small irony to the fact that we're two academics on a university-based podcast talking about the future of journalism. We are, we kind of live in a world where so many more people have access to the ability to make, I would hope, decent quality-sounding media. Yeah. Uh, how, how is that affecting the, the way that journalists see themselves positioned? Well, I think for some people it's, it's just uh, something that's quite liberating in the sort of way that they're um, their careers are able to take directions that they weren't before. Um, and you know this yourself, Lauren, you do a podcast with someone in Canada and in another podcast of this series, we'll probably talk a bit about how that came about, but you and I and everyone listening would know that 20 years ago that sort of, um, that sort of uh, extension or, or um, embellishment of a career would have just been impossible. And I remember... When I worked at Triple J and I got there in the very late 80s, how, you know, back then there was a scarcity of media that um, that meant that when certain magazines like Village Voice came in, you know, airlift, air freighted from the other side of the world or say, the you, face. You may have to uh, tell a few of us <laughs> what Village Voice is. Village Voice was a, one of those weekly newspapers um, that in it, that were common in a lot of American cities, and this was the New York one. And it was, uh, it, it, it was, it only recently closed down finally. Like it went, you know, out of print and then it, it, it was online only and it's closed. But it was the kind of magazine that 
would include terrific writing about music, terrific writing about film. Some of the best critics in America wrote for The Village Voice. And although it was really only intended originally and it had a classified section including personals, personal <laughs> ads, and there's a movie with Madonna in it, Desperately Seeking Susan, where they talk about the personals in, in The Village Voice. Uh, that all of it was it was such a good money making operation that they could hire really good journalists to write about all sorts of different uh, areas of cultural life and the life of the city and uh, because New York's so unique and, and and you know for someone especially on this side of the world who really wanted to go and discover that city uh, I, I did my homework by reading this this magazine every week about on a week's delay but. That, there was no other real way of tapping into what was going in there. And, um, you know, I used to spend a huge proportion of my um, very limited discretionary budget when I was an undergrad, you know, going and finding all these music magazines from, from Britain, like New Musical Express and fashion magazines like The Face and or culture magazines. Uh, because if I didn't go and do that and if you didn't go to the indie record shop, the, the, you, would, you would miss out there would be a whole lot of culture happening that you wouldn't know about. And so the biggest change, and this gets back to your earlier question about journalism and media, is really we've gone from a world where, forget the whole 24-7 thing, it used to be that if you're outside of Australia and you want to know what was going on here, it was very difficult unless you made an expensive phone call to get immediate information and vice versa. The, the connection between Australia and the rest of the world was very much literally mediated by these um, hard-to-get uh, organs of media. We really take content for granted in this day and age. <clears throat> yeah, we do. And, um, you know, I've always been a media junkie and I subscribe to 15 publications <laughs> at last count. Uh, I sometimes think of cutting down because I just download all these magazines every week by, by habit and I don't necessarily get time to read them all. But part of me just likes that security of knowing they're there and, and, I, and I still get, uh, you know, the newspapers d delivered in physical form on the weekend, mostly so my Labrador can go out and uh, put the put the papers in her mouth and come in for her Saturday morning <laughs> breakfast. And just to see that site, realising that, you know, if, if, if newspapers were to stop printing, that this, this kind of habit that both my dogs over a long period of time have uh, perform this ritual every weekend for you know sixteen years. That could go away one day, but that was how that was how the world came to you. You probably have fourteen or fifteen more subscriptions than <laughs> the average Australian content consumer. Yeah. Um, how is getting the, the the challenge of the the pay models and the the effect that's had on on who is working in what kinds of media? Yeah, it's it's a tough challenge. Um, it is true that you can be really well informed um, for, for without paying for sub subscriptions um, through the incredibly important work of public media and public broadcasting, um, but also because a lot of a lot of journalism is just available for free on the net. But um, journalism itself isn't free. People need to be paid in order to sustain <laughs> to sustain that profession, and so. To me, it's a it's a moral uh, question paying for journalism, um, and it doesn't. I suppose it meant if I was completely broke, I wouldn't um, I wouldn't withdraw from the world altogether. I'd still try to find out what was going on. But um, I think that that 
uh, you know, and I've seen this with students and I've seen this in, in terms of the stats on readership versus subscribers. That a lot of people, I suppose, have opted out of the idea that you've got to pay for something like this if it's going to remain uh, sustainable. Talking about the sustainability of this industry, you've had a, a large ongoing project called the New Beats Project, an yep. Australian Research Council-funded project looking at the kind of role of journalism and, and the changing landscape, and you've followed over 200 journalists through a period of redundancy and kind of where yeah. they started and where they went to. So so we only followed them once they had once their positions had become redundant. But what we did is we, we got a, a cohort of over 200 of them, which we had to really work hard to find them. Um, we had help from one of our industry partners, the Media Entertainment and Arts Alliance, the Journalism Union. But um, we, we surveyed them four time, in four years in a row, 2014 to 2017, um, because I think when people uh, leave their jobs or lose their jobs, and I think we need to be clear here with journalism redundancies, that a lot of people put their hand up and were actually quite glad for a whole range of reasons, including the changing nature of, of, of media workplaces, um, to get a, you know, a really nice payout and go and do something else. But um, you know, when people leave, the, the initial period straight after where you could tap into a lot of anger and distress and, and grieving even in a lot of cases about you know, the world they'd left and a sort of shock about what are we going to do now. Um, we always thought that would be an interesting... You know, we did a pilot study when we realised we'd get this kind of snapshot. Mm -hmm. But what would happen to these people over time? Um, we thought if we would do uh, interviews every year for a few years, we'd actually try to map what happened um, so that we weren't just saying, well, where did they end up? Um, you know, did they get a job and then, you know, was that end of story? And um, I guess one of the main findings for us was, well, most of them actually uh, did get work, but um, that in nearly every case, like, in, well, certainly in the, in the vast majority of cases, uh, they haven't just been in the same steady job since they left. It wasn't a matter of leaving one job and going into another. It was for about 10% of our participants. Okay. But um, for the rest, for a whole range of reasons, you know, they've tried mixes of freelancing, working part-time. Some have, you know, one woman I interviewed her for another part of the project um, a few months ago, she was from a major newspaper. She said, I worked, you know, as a journo for this newspaper for 25 years. And now in the last three years, I've had 10 jobs. And she wasn't complaining about it because she's worked for politicians. She's done a whole lot of things that she would never have got to do as a journalist. But... Um, the, the, I suppose the thing that you see a lot in, in, in these surveys and in the discussions we've had with journalists when we've done these kind of whole-of-life interviews for a project we've done with the National Library, an oral history project, is that they've gone from very stable careers and perhaps journalism was almost artificially stable for a period of 30 or 40 years. You know, the rivers of gold, the legendary rivers of gold that were <laughs> the mountains of money that came in from classified advertising... Uh, in its heyday, right up until it started to splutter and fade, um, you know, in the first decade of this century, meant that people could go in as cadets at 17 or 18 and end up staying in that same newspaper or certainly in the print industry for their entire careers. So people are 
who have left there are actually now, uh, you know, in a lot of cases in uncharted territory for them. But um, the skill base that they've acquired through um, their long stints in newsrooms has turned out to be something that uh, is very attractive to um, a range of other sort of adjacent professions. And a lot of journalists have also gone into quite different areas as well. Is there still this sense of sadness or loss or a kind of loss of identity? Um, Well, we certainly got that straight off the back of uh, redundancy. And some people have really struggled in an ongoing sense because for a lot of people, picking up the phone and saying you're from such and such a newspaper really carried something with it. And I've I've experienced that as well. I mean, I left voluntarily, you know, from from print and from other areas of media, but... You're a bit of a ahead of the curve there. Well, I didn't leave for those reasons. I, I left for other reasons. But the, the actual, you know, the actual status that comes with being part of a very major media organisation that's got heft and is taken seriously, whether people, you know, bag it or love it or whatever. Um, but what I found increasingly as we went further into these interviews is that, and surveys, is that people would tell us, well... You know, the newsrooms were changing and the work, the work uh, flow was becoming much faster and it wasn't the jobs we were originally doing. And a lot of them now report, you know, in the final survey we did in 2017, kept saying to us, look, my sense of well-being is a lot better now. And, and um, the, the, perhaps the most surprising finding of all was um, we, we got people on a drop-down list to list, you know, if they were to, to nominate if they were satisfied or not satisfied with their current working arrangements. Mm-hmm. And I always thought oh, it might be a bit of a 50-50 thing, but um, I think it was, uh, here we go, some stats, stats from research. 73% were actually satisfied, very satisfied. There you go. 11% were not, and there's a few in the middle. But that's a surprise finding to me because... Um, It shows, I think, that over time, uh, people who leave careers they might have been in, you know, really as a big part of their not just professional but personal identity, have been able to go and find work that if, if, you know, it's not necessarily what they originally wanted to do, that they're they're still happy with what they're doing. What does it say that people are happy with the amount of personal well-being they've managed to reclaim after leaving professional journalism yeah um i don't want to overstate this too much because it's really different i think people who were made redundant um at the point where they've got young families and mortgages have in some cases found this very difficult because there was a big drop of income overall but people who've left journalism or have worked in a mix of journalism and other areas their income has recovered over time um but yeah i think i think that uh you know it's it just one of the things I suppose is that if you go into and people haven't studied job loss in white collar professions very much, but if you come out of a profession where you know you've you've got to be competitive to to be really good, um, that sets you up I think quite well to understand what it's, you know what's required when you when you move somewhere else. And a lot of the work that journalists do that doesn't get talked about much perhaps doesn't get talked about enough by universities, is they do a lot of critical thinking. Uh, you have to learn how to do that in order to write a basic news story. Yeah. And that's the kind of skill that's really, you know, to be able to 
pull out those sort of things on deadline often is um, is 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 pretty impressive uh, achievement for a lot of other jobs as well. So journalists who've infused things like the committee, you know, the communication units of universities or the teaching and research ranks of universities as well, <laughs> have uh, have you know in some cases really galvanised those areas and really um, you know hyper hypercharged them. So yeah, has this influenced? The way you've been talking to your students or the way you train young or newer journalism students in terms of the kind of how people who are moving out of the industry or changing their role in the industry are coping with these changes? Well, I just think we're everyone who teaches in the humanities and social science and, in fact, right across other disciplines as well, I'd include law in this as well, um, you know, it's not a cliche. It is a cliche, but it's 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 certainly true that this job for life idea that that you know had a magical hold over people for a long time. No, no university can you know really get away with that anymore. Saying you know you do this and you've got a job for life, and in fact, even if you could get employment for life, uh, you know, as a doctor or or you know in a certain profession where you certainly you know the way things look where we are now, we're not going to be. Uh, the certain professions are not going to be, uh, you know, oversupplied. But the, I think it, universities have an obligation to, to get students to think about the fact that their, their, their working lives are going to take them on a big journey through a range of different things. So journalism just sort of fits into that now. It's, it, and it's never really been that different, uh, except that, you know, for a time there... <laughs> With journalists, it did seem like a you know a more stable profession, perhaps than a lot of other work which involves writing and creative work. So, you know, it used to be that people who wanted to be novelists would do do some journalism to make money because it was a stable, dependable career. <laughs> so now some of those people are actually writing novels. So there you go. So you would say you're optimistic about the future of journalism. I'm optimistic that there'll always be a demand for journalism. Um, I, I do think that um, the who pays for it question mm-hmm. still needs to be resolved if we are actually to, you know, to have the information we need to make decisions about our lives, which is, you know, the, the fundamental public interest dimension to journalism. I don't think that question's been solved because I think even though Australia and the UK with large national broadcasters are configured quite differently from the US... Uh, we see a lot of contested notions about how much a public broadcaster should be funded. And so I do think that uh, everyone who sort of cares about democracy really has to be invested in the idea that we need a solution to, you know, the disruptive business model that's made journalism, uh, especially the kind of journalism we need in order to find out what's going on amongst decision makers, um, court reporting, those sorts of things that seem unfashionable now. We need that and we need there to be a will for mechanisms to be found to make those parts of journalism financially viable. So am I optimistic about it? Um, I, I don't know. Well, we won't ask you to solve the funding model, but it's good If to I know. could, then I'd come on and do another program. Excellent. But it's good to know that... Uh, <laughs> In the meantime, they're being trained well by you and the other staff here at Latrobe. 
Thanks, Lauren. Research in Focus is a La Trobe University podcast produced by Laurie Zion and Lauren Gorn. Support for this podcast comes from La Trobe University's Transforming Human Societies Research Focus Area. This podcast is edited by Max Robbins and Margaret Purdom and hosted by Upstart. Our music is Bright Future by Silent Partner. Thank you.